I was a little disappointed. I thought I was going to get to release those kids. I've never done it. You know, I just felt really bad, Paul. I said, <laughs> oh, my. How good it is to greet you this morning and to share in dealing with God's Word together. Uh, I think there's some good stuff here. As we think about a holy church and a holy people. You see, I'm convinced we can't have one without the other if we're really knee-deep into this experience of sharing Jesus in our world and in our lives. I have not given it to the uh, tech people today, but I want to begin with a little verse of Scripture that I think is going to set the tone for what we want to say today. It's an odd piece that begins at the first part of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me read it to you this morning. It says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is accursed. Did you hear that? No one speaking by the Spirit of God can say, Jesus is accursed. Now listen. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, when we read 1 Corinthians, we get into a lot of spiritual things that need careful processing, if you please, if we're going to really understand Scripture in its light. I must admit to you that for many years early in my ministry, I didn't know how to handle what was going on in the Christian church with all of the talk about the Holy Spirit and all of the sometimes rather careless things that were being proclaimed about the Holy Spirit. I mean, folks, back in the late 60s and early 70s, it was a free-for-all out. And much of what was being proclaimed had very little rootage in Holy Scripture. Very little. And Paul says, you can't say Jesus is accursed and and claim you're speaking the words of the Spirit. And you can't say Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is a vital part of who we are as believers And what we're going to do and what we're going to be as his children in this world. So this morning as we deal with a holy church and a holy people, I want us to realize that Corinth was not the most opportune place for Paul to go and preach his gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know much about ancient Corinth? I'm assuming that you don't, so I'm going to tell you a little bit, okay? 
ancient Corinth had an exceedingly strategic location that made it a significant city in the ancient world. In fact, it was the fifth largest city in the Roman Empire. It sat on a little isthmus between the mainland of Greece and the Peloponnesian Peninsula, and it gave it a great sense of commerce as the roads from the north came down and made their way to Corinth as the seafaring vessels brought their goods from the east and the west and the south to Corinth. It was a teeming city when Paul went to Corinth in the first century. A city, perhaps, ancient historians tell us, of a couple of hundred thousand people. A city that had been given over in its past to vices that were somewhat less than tolerable for Christians to understand. In fact, I think there's an ancient manuscript that contains the words that whatever happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth. It was that kind of a city. In fact, years before Paul got there, there was a saying that said, let's go Corinthianize. They made a verb out of it. It wasn't a very nice verb. It had deep pagan roots. Many pagan temples there, and especially the temple to the goddess Aphrodite. And it stood up on a great rock hill called the Acrocorinth, maybe that was 1,800 feet above the city. And there was a great statue of Aphrodite there, dressed in military garb and with a shield in her hand, bringing protection to the city. Now, maybe she was there because, you see, about 100 years before Paul got there, Rome, 200 years, excuse me, Rome had completely come in and decimated old Corinth, completely leveled the city. So as Paul comes to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, its strategic location and its commercial economy was still there. And no doubt its pagan vices were there as well. But it was a relatively new city. And it was here that Acts tells us that Paul stayed for 18 months to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ that these Greco-Roman pagans could find the transforming power of the gospel in their lives. So, with that being said, and with that bit of introduction about Corinth, let's take a look at this first passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 16. Now remember, I don't do well with points and sermons, but I've got a couple and I want you to be aware of them. So point number one, you can be aware of it, is this, and I've got it right here. I can read it. I wrote this myself. The church is holy. Because God's Spirit dwells within God's people. Now, we could almost have there as well, among God's people. 
The church is a reflection of God's Spirit as we meet together and give Him access to our lives. And so our text reads, According to the grace of God which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each person must be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Did you hear that? So we aren't tempted to follow anyone else or anything else. Jesus is the foundation of the church. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, or straw, each one's works will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and fire itself will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet only so as through fire. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that God's Spirit dwells in you? (laughs) Is that amazing? Is that great? Now, Paul uses this little rhetorical form, I believe ten times in the letter, He asks here in verse 16, Do you not know? Now, I was trained in my seminary work that when I came across that little statement in the biblical text, my ears had better perk up because what Paul was saying, he wanted me to get, and he wanted me to get it good. And he says here, Do you not know that you are a temple of God? Me and you. We are God's temple as his church. And that the Spirit of God dwells within us. What a magnificent statement. Now, with that being said, and with what Paul said in this statement, or this little passage about Jesus, I want us to be aware of the words of Reverend Dr. Peter Forsyth. When more than a hundred years ago, in one of his great little books, he said that the task of the church is to serve the gospel. So, we're going to have Mission University Do you know what we have to ask? How does Mission University serve the gospel? Not what does it do for the church. Not what does it do for us. I'd be in a pickle if I tried to play pickleball. Can't bend over that far. The task of the church is to serve the gospel of Jesus Christ and to let that 
gospel begin to permeate the world in which we live. That was Paul's task in ancient Corinth. You see, the church in Corinth, like our churches today, was threatened by worldly wisdom, by boasting, by division. And and we could say that the church needed nothing more and nothing less than a spiritual revival sweeping its midst. We don't know how big the church in Corinth was in this town of probably more than 200,000 people, but it was no doubt very small. Had it reached 50 to 70 people, it might have been large. Had there been two or three churches, had they reached 150, that might have been large. And Paul is writing to these Christian believers in Corinth, threatened by its culture, threatened by its past, threatened by the paganism that was rampant around them, that somehow they had to reclaim the fact that they were God's temple. Everyone could see Aphrodite's temple up on the Corinth. Everybody knew what that stood for. But Paul says, don't you know that you are the temple of God? Because his Holy Spirit lives in you. Now, the way that this verse is constructed, we know something. Paul is not talking about individuals in chapter 3, verse 16. He's talking about the church corporate. That's very significant. Because Paul could even see that somehow, as the church met and brought itself together, God's Spirit was there amongst the people. And so that leads us to verses 17 and 18 in this third chapter. I want to read them for you at this time. They're they're so important. Listen to what he says, picking up on what he said in verse 16. If anyone destroys the temple of God, God will destroy that person. For the temple of God is holy, and that's what you are. You are the temple of God. That becomes crucial to their whole understanding of their existence. And that's what they're to do as they live in God's presence. Live out the fact that they are God's The temple was a very holy place in Jerusalem. As these Greco-Roman people encountered the Old Testament, and remember that the Hebrew Bible was the first church, or first Bible of the Christian church, and so they read it to understand how God was at work in their midst. Back in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, Paul tells the people, That these stories in the Old Testament are told as an example that we might understand how God is at work within our world. And certainly, he was at work in the midst of the temple. And so, Paul says, you folks are the temple of God. 
And I want you to understand, and I want you to believe that. Believers had become fixated on their own needs in Corinth. What they wanted, what they thought they could do. And no doubt, at times, thinking that, you know, (laughs) you might be okay, but I'm probably better than you are. And there was competition involved. And there was a sense of thinking that by God's help, people will really know that I'm somebody in this organization. Fixated upon their own desires, upon their own needs. You see, they'd forgotten that the Holy Spirit is the key, the crucial reality for life in the new age. That the presence of the Spirit marked them as God's new people because they were his temple in Corinth. You see, Aphrodite might have a temple here, but so does the God of all creation who has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. And it's not made of costly stone. It's not made of great artworks. It's made as God's Spirit fills our lives as we gather together and creates new life. Paul is saying that as believers, together, there is a spiritual dynamic that is brought about by God's Spirit, and the church is able to witness to God's presence through Jesus Christ in the world. Sometimes, when we talk about having to become a witness for Jesus, we kind of freeze up, don't we? Oh, I could never do that. I'm, I'm a little too shy. I'm a little too embarrassed to speak out. But you see, if God's Spirit has really come upon us, and something in our life has really taken place, we might just find the ability to bear witness to that, to a friend who needs to hear the good news of what God is doing through Jesus Christ, even in our world. And remember, we don't do this by ourselves. We are together in the church. But I didn't follow up on what Paul said in verse 17 there, very that he says that if someone chooses to destroy the church, you better beware or God's judgment of destruction will come upon them. That's harsh language. We don't like to talk about judgments. We don't like to hear that. What's Paul saying that if someone destroys the church, What's he trying to think about here as a believer? Well, I'm convinced that that to destroy God's temple is for whatever reason to misappropriate the gospel and make that gospel serve our ends rather than the end of Jesus Christ's gospel. We begin to serve ourselves rather than the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And in so doing, we bring destruction upon God's temple because the temple can never function as God intended it. When it's just saying, oh, what a beautiful place. Isn't this just grand? You remember that passage in Mark 13? The disciples and Jesus are in Jerusalem. It's Holy Week now. And the disciples have come away from the temple and they're looking back and they say to Jesus, Lord, can you imagine how beautiful this is? What beautiful stones! The grandeur of the temple, it's magnificent! Do you remember Jesus' words? Mark 13. He says, there's coming a day when not one stone will be left upon another. And the temple will be in ruins, and it will seem that all is lost. But you see, it's not merely the temple that's at stake. Because Jesus knew that men like Paul and others would find out that believers have become the temple of God. You know, if we were making a movie about this, some, some Hollywood writer would help us to say, you know, we don't need no stinking temple. <laughs> we don't need it. We have God's spirit within us. That is what makes the difference. And that is where we stand as believers, even today. So, The church is holy because of God's Spirit. But more than that, believers are holy because God's Holy Spirit is within them, within us. Let's take a look at chapter 6, verses 12 to 18. Now, you better get ready. This text hasn't been read in this sanctuary in quite a while, and... Uh, you might be wondering about it a little bit, okay? So just get ready, but you've got to remember the context. A holy people in a pagan city. You got it? With all of the accoutrements of paganism rampant within that city. All things are permitted for me. That's probably what the Corinthians were saying among themselves. We could almost put those words in quotation marks. This is what they were saying. All things are permitted for me. Paul adds, but not all things are a benefit. All things are permitted for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach. The stomach is for food. However, God will do away with both of them. But the body is not for sexual immorality. Immortality, immorality there we go. But for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Go back one, please. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are parts of Christ? Shall I then take away the parts of Christ and make them parts of a prostitute? Far from it. 
Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. So Paul's concern here is that the Corinthians understand the deep significance of what God is wanting to do in their midst. You see, in the ancient world, carrying out sexual desires was more common and crude than we could ever imagine. Paul is taking his stand against such practices in his day. Judaism had a high regard for our bodies. It was God's creative gift. It came with the creation of the world. That's what it was all about. God made this body. And at the end of Genesis chapter 1, it says, And God saw that it was very good. You remember that? That's what it says. In pagan thought, the body was evil. It had no present or eternal significance. And so there was this conflict that arose about this body that we are a part of in the midst of this world. This body that sometimes causes us grief and yet it sometimes is a great benefit to all that we're doing. But it's God's creation. And Paul wants us to know how significant it is in the midst of our spiritual journey. And so he says, don't join it to a prostitute. Join it to the Lord. Become one with the Lord. That's the purpose. Don't do whatever people are doing out there in culture. Make your own way as a believer and allow God to be at work in your life. Now, when I was teaching Bible 102 at the university, I don't know how many generations of students were able to hear the fact. Murray, if you were listening, you heard it. You know. That 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, is one of the most radical statements you can find in the New Testament. Paul says it again. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Now, this is very, very important here because this body word is singular here. He's not talking about all of us here. He's talking about the individual. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you have been bought for a price. Therefore, glorify God in, or we could say, glorify God with your body. This is not just a means of somehow fulfilling our sinful desires. Our body is the means by which we glorify God. Amen.
and we all have one. Therefore, we can all do it if we really believe that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit and that the Spirit is within us. For Paul, the body is this present habitation of the Spirit. And he indwells us. And in so doing, it becomes the divine affirmation of the significance of our bodies. Maybe I can say that a little more simply. Your body counts because the Holy Spirit is dwelling within you. Amen. You don't sound very excited about that. <laughs> but you see, that's a huge, that's a huge point. To know the significance of who we are because of God's Spirit within us. This is one of the most radical statements in the New Testament. And it refutes the basic thinking of Paul's day. And it became an outright rejection of pagan culture. Hey, you can't, you can't grow a church in a culture if you're not going to accept its values. Paul did. Did you hear me? Paul did. And it made a difference. Because his values were centered in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he had done was he came and gave himself for our sins. Our bodies have become God's temple. The whole fallen order of creation has been redeemed in Christ, including our bodies. And that becomes the whole understanding of what it means to be holy. Folks, let, let's just talk for a minute. There are untold millions of Christians today in America who distrust the word holiness because they think it has to do with their own goodness and what they can achieve and who they are. And many of them are honest enough to say, I could never live like that, so don't put that burden on me. I'm not going to be that big of a liar. Don't, don't include me in that. But you see, we become holy, not merely by what we can do, have you heard it enough yet this morning? But by the fact that God's Spirit is within us. Holiness isn't dependent upon my goodness. Although, I think God wants that to be worked out. Amen. But it's about that sense of God's Spirit in our lives. The mark of the kingdom of God, if you please. The mark of all that God wants to do 
to bring about redemption for the world. We have to learn that we don't own our bodies, folks. They belong to God the Lord. Did you, did you see that? As I was reading the scripture, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? Charles, you're not your own. Pastor, you're not your own. You have been bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Now, let's take a look at something. I like to See how scripture kind of plays off itself at points. Look at verse 12 of chapter 6. We've already read it, noted it. Paul says, quoting no doubt the Corinthians, all things are permitted for me. You know what? I can do anything I want to. That's what they were saying. Paul comes back and says, just remember, not all things are a benefit. Oh, but I can do anything I want to. Okay. But don't be mastered by anything. Not by anything. So, verse 12. Let's look at verse 20 here. (laughs) Verse 19b and then 20. You are not your own. You have been bought for a price. So Paul is saying, you really don't have the ability to say you can do anything you want to because you really belong to the Lord. Did you ever read some of that self-help stuff uh, years ago? And oh, They're still producing it by the truckloads. and It can be pretty good stuff at times. And they tell you, you know, every day you get up and you look yourself in the mirror and you tell yourself how good you are and how many sales you're going to make that day and, and, and how this world is so gifted by your presence in it. And then you go to work and you're the same old schmuck you've always been, you know. <laughs> but you see, when I look in that mirror... What I ought to be able to say is, so that's what somebody looks like who belongs to the Lord. Because you belong to the Lord. And I belong to the Lord. And we gain our holiness in our relationship to Him as He, through His Spirit, is at work in our lives. And we go out to a world that could care less to live out the gospel Because that's our task, my brothers and sisters. It's not in my notes, but I need to say this. (laughs) Don't be telling people about the gospel if you're not willing to live it. Amen. (laughs) Don't, Don't do that. Gives the gospel a bad name. What you want to do is to experience the wonder of grace and let it transform who you are and all that we can become.
come as God's people. So there's a holy church. And God has a holy people. Not because we know how to dot all of our I's and cross all the T's and tell the difference between a T and a Q on the great, you know. It's not because of that. It's because we've given God's Spirit access to our lives. It's because God's Spirit is at work within us. Recreating that Spirit of Christ in all that we do. And whatever you might think holiness is, that's what holiness is. Well, I thought it had to do with a lot more than that, with all those do's and don'ts. Well, we could get there sometime. But when you try to begin there without recognizing who we are as indwelt by God's Spirit, as made whole by His grace, we'll fail every time. Did you hear me? And we'll be the biggest Pharisees the world has ever seen. We glorify God with our bodies when we realize that God is alive in us. We begin to glorify God in our bodies when we live out the gospel in a world that could care less. And we enjoy the wonder of divine grace day by day. The wonder of the gospel is not that we get a new job, but that God gives us new eyes to see our job as we look at it through the gospel. All those things that we would wish for that could really make our life great if it could just happen to us. I talked to one man this week. He thinks he's going to find it in retirement. No, no. Not in retirement by itself, but when God is there. That makes all the difference in the world. A holy church, a holy people. All by God's doing as he comes to us in his fullness. You see, I think Paul was thinking of our lives before God when he declared in 1 Corinthians 2, 16. Let, let, me, let me read it to you. Paul says there in this marvelous little chapter, he says, asking the question first, who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? That's a rhetorical question, of course, and the answer is, why, nobody. Nobody. But Paul ends the verse by saying, but we have the mind of Christ. How do we have the mind of Christ? Through God's Spirit alive in us. 
giving to us his grace to live our lives for him in the midst of a world that could care less. May God bless you as we continue to grow in grace and as we continue to allow the church to be our habitation in the midst of this world.